wriggling, my goodness. Come on, Annie. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife, bigger than life. Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to the movies and wait and see. Betty Davis is probably lying and Greta Garbo is probably crying while Robert Taylor is locked in her dying embrace. Chico and Bracho and Chaplin and Lloyd are all super. Sweet Mickey Mouse, Shirley Temple, and dear Jackie Let's Cooper. Let's go to the movies. Let's go, go see the stars. Fred and Ginger spinning madly. Sitting in the darkness, popcorn on your knee, give the maid the night off. Turn the kitchen light off. Let's go to the movies and Welcome to Sundays on the East End. This is Bridget Leroy. And this is Alex Sakaloo. <laughs> and we have a really fantastic guest today. We've been trying to, I don't know why we haven't had Anne on before, but Anne Chason is the uh, executive director of the formerly Hamptons International Film Festival, now rebranded as Hamptons Film. And we get to talk about movies, Alec. Yay, which I get to talk about with myself every day at all times. <laughs> so I'm so happy to be able to take it from my brain to my lips and out into the world. Well, we always, I mean, even back in high school, I remember like we, you would come over and we would watch movies together. Like we've always been. Uh, no, absolutely. And, and, and the thing about movies, especially as we're, we're you know, past the one year moment of the, of the lockdown, the shutdown, is that I think movies exist in a different way. We may be experiencing them differently, but the stories and the uh, worlds to disappear into, I think, are even more valuable now as we've all been forced to kind of stop uh, telling our own stories uh, out in the world. So I, I think movies are, are, have always been, to me, the most spectacular art form, um, the most mysterious art form. Because when something is right, it's just right and magical and it lasts through time and space. Uh, but also, uh, I think now, uh, you know, God, I miss going to the movie theater. <laughs> me too. And do you remember, I mean, uh, you have said on this show, and you've told me before, like, just like in conversation, that you always want to be on the screen. Like you want I, want, I want to live in the screen. I don't want to be on. I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to be a performer. I, I, the reality in the screen of movies, uh, uh, to me, uh, is is and is far more interesting than the reality of of this world. Um, the heightened magnificence, the emotions, the operas, the the phys the physics, uh, everything about things that happen in the movies. You know, um, Buster Keaton did it uh, for the first time uh, in 1924 or five in uh, Sherlock Jr. Woody Allen did it in The Purple of Rose of Cairo. You see those fantasies played out sometimes in the storytelling, mm -hmm. but I could just tell you as a viewer, I somehow, what I see in the movies when I watch a movie is, is more, I value more than the thing that's right in front of me, which probably is why uh, I'm a screenwriter and uh, probably not the best bet for uh, dying rich. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I have, I would, we haven't discussed on the show before, but I, I, I don't think so, is that I have this amazing typed letter um, or like a diary entry from my grandmother, Doris Warner. Mm -hmm. who was 19 
And it's her memory of the very first showing of The Jazz Singer, which, of course, was Warner Brothers production. And that's my great grandfather. And that's my grandmother. And it was her being it was shown in New York. And that moment when it went to a talking movie and he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. And what it was like in I mean, movies are just magic. You know, they're just magic. Absolutely. And and they are the memories, the collective memories, but the memories that I certainly carry, I think we as a society carry, uh, it's, you know, think platforms have changed. And so now with, with Netflix and streaming stuff and and whatever new platforms on the Internet, there, there are other collective memories. But I don't think that they necessarily last the, the test of time the way movies do. I think movies, you can watch a movie that's 100 years old and still have the emotional impact what that was intended. Uh, and that, to me, is very unique. And 100 years from now, they'll be watching Toy Story and still... Loving the relationship between Woody and Buzz. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I say absolutely, I agree with you. And uh, and that's really funny because in my case, like when, when Toy Story came out, beyond my personal struggles as a young writer out in L.A., uh, the, the biggest thing I knew even then, which is now over 25 years ago, was uh, this movie's going to outlive me. And like I'm now kind of a dead man walking. You know, like I'm kind of like I've got my obituary. Like that's that's <laughs> done. That's done. Yep. And it it will maintain its immediacy and value far beyond my my earthly existence. And it took a long time for me to just make peace with that inside of like it, that's the game. Yeah. And from a from a from a writer's point of view. Well, we're going to bring on an executive director's point of view. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Anne Chason. I hope I'm saying your name. I never, I just call you Anne. So how do you say your last name? You know, I answer to anything. You know, having a name that is spelled the way it is, I get used to whatever anyone wants to call me. So I've been called a little bit of everything, but it is Chasson is the correct pronunciation. Chasson as French? Yes, French via Louisiana. Uh, Cajun. Cajun, I love it. What's your first memory of a movie? You know, I knew you were going to ask me that question, so I prepared well. (laughs) I grew up with an extremely film-loving mother who was pretty much, could have been a character in Christopher Guest's, in a Christopher Guest movie, Waiting for Guffman. Um, She, you know, was in the little theater. Our our actual little town had something called the little theater. And so she was Mame. She was Gypsy. She was Dolly. So you can about imagine what movies I saw first. Um, Gypsy, My Fair Lady, (laughs) Sound of Music, um, Wizard of Oz. Right. but, but but, But a lot of, even though not all of them were technically musicals, a lot of that heightened reality that musicals has where, where stories can stop at any moment to go on this visual kind of journey of emotion. Yes. She loved the emotion. Emotion was king. Emotion was king, especially if it had to do with a movie. She wanted to laugh really hard or cry really hard. And that infused my experience of it you know she it, it wasn't rare for her to wake me up at midnight and say oh you got to get up imitation of life is on let's get up and watch it together <laughs> so oh, you know beautiful. that's how i grew up which was sort of unique right right wait was that is barbara stanwick that was barbara stanwick wasn't it yeah, imitation yeah. of life I'm where she sure was, it was barbara stanwick yeah. as, as a passing that's right and then at the yeah i remember that. at the end of the movie she's chasing the horse-drawn carriage down the road so <laughs> right. yes. but but i think the, 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 the thing but the thing that jumps right the thing that jumps out to me though is that you, these are the memories that solidify your relationship with your mom in some way that you know that that's the special part that's not the kind of monday through friday nine to five grind part that's the magical inner life part it's the hey here's a memory we can have together yes absolutely well, we were on her train, trust me. So it was, she was, she is a unique character. So it was always something, you know, I could wake up in the middle of the night and there could be someone playing the piano at three in the morning as well. So you were never quite sure. And she was an elementary school teacher. So she did these things and got up in the morning and taught school. So maybe that's where I got my work ethic from as yeah. well. 
but it's interesting, very interesting. Right. Well, but, let, but let's talk about that. So, so you grow up in a, in a, in a cinephile home, uh, like in your own journey, how, what are the parts that led you to running the Hamptons uh, Film Festival? Well, it was certainly um, a different kind of journey. So as much as those were the things we loved and I adored movies my entire life, when I went to college, I, I didn't go for any of that. I went for marketing and, you know, a minor in French and I was in the journalism school for, and advertising was in the journalism school. So I was very much on a business track. Mm -hmm. I always knew that would be where I was. You know, uh, I was the organizer, even as a kid, I organized all the events in the neighborhood. I was extremely involved in school. So, you know, student council, I would organize the parade for homecoming, did the same thing in college. So um, I'm a perfect mix of my mother and my father. There's like that, you have to make sure that your feet are on the ground and you're making a living with the fun loving, let's go have fun and watch movies and get involved in the arts in whatever way you can. So um, I went into business graduated, moved up north, lived in DC for a couple of years, then ended up in New York City working for MasterCard in marketing. Um, wow. So I did that. For this five. is where I want to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In New York City on 7th Avenue, working for MasterCard. <laughs> and, and it was fine. It was actually really fun. Then they moved me to a sort of more financial side of the bank and I didn't have a, a, the organization. And I didn't really like it much at all. And then they moved out of New York City to Rye, New York. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not taking a financial job and reverse commuting out of the city at 25 years old. That is not my plan for my life, you know. So, um, you know, I took the package, which they give you a package when they're making big changes and changed my career and got into film. That's what happened. I wow. didn't go to school for it. I didn't do any of that. I had friends who were in the business, you know, it was early, mid nineties. So people, it was the craze of the independent film world. And there were lots of people in New York making those movies. And so I thought, I've got a great business brain. I've got a financial background. Let me help people raise money for their films. And honestly, that's how I got involved. And, and you became a producer. You produced several films, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about what it was like to finally, what, what, what bubbles were burst and what, and what was great about being a producer and finally being involved in film that you had loved oh, your whole life. The entire thing was exciting to me from the, the raising of, um, this is the first out outing, right? So it's from the raising of the money to um, understanding what all of the positions were and how everyone comes together as a community and there was a hierarchy and you understood exactly who was supposed to be doing what, all of that appealed to my sensibility of how things should work. Mm -hmm. So I was like a moth to the flame in that sense. But the very first thing I did was a feature film. So you can about imagine how that worked out. <laughs> so um, I made every Right. But, but here, here's the thing. Right. And, and you learn by doing, I mean, like you, you've touched on, this is my own bias. I, I find that uh, film schools and studying film in academic settings uh, is really a, um, it, it, it's, it, it's a, a pyrrhic uh, experience. Like it's, it's like you, you are, you are getting a very heightened, people tend to get a very heightened sense of I am making something but the real world really is, is your, is, is what's going to teach you. And so it's very, very, very few people uh, come out of uh, academia, academia in studying film or wherever and have the career they, they were dreaming they were going to have. So on one level, there's that. But the other thing that I, I would love to hear more about is people are always wondering, I wonder this also, what exactly, there are so many different ways you can be a producer on a film. Uh, you know, and so in your you're learning as you're doing, but like, what kind of producer were you? Were you the material producer? Were you the relationship producer? Were you the financial producer? Or were you the boots on the ground kind of like where an army marches on its stomach producer? <laughs> well, in that first experience, I became all of them. Uh, at first I was just raising money. And then the writer director said, well, I don't, I, you need to be a producer on this, which I knew nothing about. So then we went about hiring tons of people who could help us 
specifically a line producer, which he's the guy who Jonathan Judge, God bless him, he taught me everything I know. So they were all just in NYU grad school and just graduating and all of these guys were looking for work. And so these, all of these now grad students were my teachers. Honestly, uh, we all became very good friends, best friends in fact. So they walked us through what, need to, what needed to happen and how to do it and how it all worked. But it sounds like it was an extraordinarily exciting time to be involved in indie films in New York City in the early 90s. Was it just, I mean, was it just what, you know, aside from the daily grind, it just sounds like it was a really exciting time to be there. It was. It, it, there were so many, but we just, I was tapping into this, piece of the world I knew nothing about too. So exciting for me in the sense that I had gotten away from something I did not want to be my life's career. So every nugget of information was, you know, like a brain spark of, wow, so this is what this is. This is what this job does. This is what a best boy is. This is how this gets made, learning about the cameras and the lenses. And I really was a sponge. I was trying to take in as much as I could that didn't stop us from still not really making some correct decisions. So we were learning about film, but not necessarily being, not everyone's invested in your material, Alec, as I'm sure you can imagine, as you are. From a, from a screenwriting point of view, I find I'm, I'm, I'm active, I'm activated before anybody else is invited on. And success has always been that people come on and they're making their movie, even like it starts the day they get hired. And so then you deal with all of the personalities and priorities of anybody. Uh, but I, you just have to kind of give into the collaborative process. But 90s independent film in New York, uh, Buscemi Totoro, what side <laughs> are you on? <laughs> are you Team Steve? I'm Team John. Steve. Absolutely, <laughs> Team Steve. <Yeah. laughs> okay, nice. That's I love so Turo, but I also uh, back to reality. Um, so and so, how did you get involved in the whole in the film festival, or was it a trial by fire with Hamptons Film Festival? But you've been with them for a very long time. So how did you get in, involved with? That whole idea. Well, you know, I started making movies after that first one that didn't do so well. Um, I made five more feature films. So um, I ended up starting a production company and uh, living that life for about a decade, which was great. And in that process, some of those films played at the Hamptons Film Festival. So I got to know all the people working at the festival at the time, uh, Raj Roy, who's now the chief, uh, chief film curator at MoMA, and Denise Cassell, who was the executive director here for about a decade. So, um, you know, like every, I think every organization, there is a nonprofit side to your life, whatever it may be, and people sort of gravitate towards a particular organization that they support and want to be involved in. And the Hamptons Film Festival was one of those places for me. So I ended up starting the advisory board with another a fellow film producer. We were in the process of making a film together at the time, Jeff Sharp. Um, we made a film called P.S. with uh, Laura Linney and uh, Marsha Gay Harden um, and Topher Grace, etc. So Denise asked us to be the co-chairs of that, the advisory board for this particular organization. So I've been involved or are coming to this festival since 98, I think, 1998. So as a That's very fantastic. special place. Um, we're going to take a really quick break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And our special guest, Anne Chisson of the Hamptons Film Festival. We'll be right back after this. Serving eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, this is listener-supported 88.3 WLIW-FM and WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station. Your source for news, music, and entertainment, 24 hours a day, seven days a week in Southampton, New York. 
I'm Meg Noonan inviting you to join me on 88.3 WLIW-FM for Freeform Radio at its new time every Sunday night from 9 to 11. You'll hear a lively mix of rock in all its glorious subgenres, plus a heavy dose of soul, R&B, and more. So tune in to Freeform Radio, where variety reigns supreme, Sundays at 9 p.m. on 88.3 WLIW-FM and WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station. Sunday's on the East End. We're talking with our guest executive director of the Hamptons Film Festival, Anne Chesson. And um, and we, we were just now talking about, uh, you know, you, you we've gotten you to the Hamptons. You are now on the advisory board. Um, you know, tell us some of the ups and downs over the past, you know, 20 years that you've been involved. And I, I mean, this is a, a, an overseeing conversation, but also like how you pivot being the word of 2020 how you managed to pivot and and what do you see coming up? That's all, like we, we have 20 minutes to discuss all of that. So don't answer it all in one sentence. But um, that's kind of the direction I want to head in. I'm sure Alec has his own direction as well. <laughs> sure, we can talk about more movies too. But um, wow, over the 20 years, uh, I mean, there's been, you know, every version of, of things you can imagine. Um, it's expanded and then it's contracted and then it's expanded based on, you know, where it happened and when it happened. Um, lots of new, um, just, it, it was only a film festival, uh, plus an education program for a long time until the early 2000s. And then we added the Screenwriters Lab, which Alec, you were a mentor uh, once for us, which was fantastic. We're happy to have you there. Thank you. That was an amazing, fun uh, experience. Yeah, yeah. We're celebrating our 21st year this year for that program. The wonderful thing is that the festival has actually only had a handful of executive directors in its 29 years. And I say the festival. It's Hamptons Film is the parent company, and Hamptons International Film Festival is one of our tentpole events, like the Screenwriters Lab is. Got it. So um, it's come a long way. It's a year-round nonprofit organization. It's it still surprises me now that people still think we're only the film festival in October. They have somehow don't know that we're here. All year. Right. But you know what? I would love to actually have like explore both of those ideas. Those, both of those, uh, you know, structures, because when I think of the Hamptons film festival, uh, I, I originally thought, well, it's a festival that is celebrating 
the films that may be made and or be of importance to people out on the East End. But then I came to see, no, it's really a chance to bring movies to the East End that might not show up here otherwise, or some version of that. Uh, but what is Hampton's film? Like, tell me about the Hydra that is Hampton's film, or the many tentacles. <laughs> Sure, sure. So like I was saying before, we have the film festival, the annual festival in October. We have the Screenwriters Lab that happens in April. Um, it's it's more private facing. Um, it happens out here. Didn't last year, won't this year, of course. And it, it's a way for us to help screenwriters develop their projects. So we're, we're hoping to be in the ecosystem from the beginning all the way to the end. So you could be in our screenwriters lab, um, come back after you've made the film and be in the film festival. And then potentially, this is what Hampton's film is as a whole, and then potentially come back when the film's bought and ready for a theatrical release and then play in our now showing program, which we do screenings of first run films. We've been doing that since our, since. 2012, I guess. Um, we partnered with Guild Hall and we would show a film every week. And of course, using the word pivot in this environment, we decided to um, create our own virtual cinema. So now showing on your regular television <laughs> once a week as well. Um, and so we, we hope to continue to bring something to the East End every week. I mean, we try every week to do some sort of event right. year round. 52 weeks a year. So that is what Hampton's film is. And, and, what, and one of my favorite expressions is uh, that came from the movie, The Right Stuff, is no bucks, no Buck Rogers. And so and how much fundraising does this require? Like, is, is it, like what, when do you get to enjoy the creative side versus the, uh, the practical fund, fundraising side? Right. Well, I am the practical side now. This is my ninth year, so this is my forte, right? Running something. So running the organization was completely natural. It's small, it's nimble. Everyone comes together to create something and then we all go away, whatever program that might be for us. But now we have pretty much seven people year round. And uh, David Nugent is our artistic director. As you know, you've interviewed David. Mm -hmm. He uh, and his team do a great job of running the screenwriters lab, uh, you know, getting all the submissions, having a screenwriters committee, choosing the final, uh, the final participants, and then ramps up right after that's over to start with the film submissions and a screening committee for that and a big programming team for that. So I get involved on the creative side in the sense that David and I, you know, consult with each other. I get involved at the very end of sort of those kinds of things. But I come up with sort of new programming, like our environmental program, Air, Land, and Sea, where we were doing dinner and a movie and talk series before this lovely thing hit. Um, I was a comment. I was a I was a host for one of those events, and uh, but we, and yes, we, you were and we've also that. had Nicole Delma on for, for who's also involved with the Air, Land, and Sea program. But you know, there was also one year. Yes, she helped us. Yeah, and we we might uh, I, the year we had David Nugent on. I think that was the year where you guys like um, like I don't want to say like every movie but almost all the feature films that you guys chose ended up being Oscar nominated. I mean it was like a huge year where you guys like where David just you know really put his finger on some of the best films that were out there both you know the foreign films the 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 first run the indies the shorts the, docs, the documentary yeah the docs i mean it was just an incredible incredibly powerful year and what's going on this year just in terms of movies like are i mean are movies being made with i know that some are and tv shows are being shot but what is it going to look like for 2021 or 2022 for the film festival? What kind of stuff is coming down the pike with the pandemic? People are still shooting. Um, movies are still being made. Um, you know, you hear about something getting shut down here or there based on protocols, but they, they've definitely continued the machine trying to churn out. I think there was sort of a, a dead stop for about six months last year, and then people started to ramp up. And I think it's working out pretty well because there is certainly movies. Uh, Sundance had a lot of new movies, uh, even though it was a virtual. 
experience this year, and so did South by Southwest. But um, we're anticipating as many movies as we normally do. Uh, a lot of things were held. I think we'll see a glut of cinema in the theaters once things do ramp up. But in terms of right. you know the Oscar contenders, that kind of a thing, um, I. I I'm not anticipating that it's not going to be as exciting as it normally is. You know, as a matter of fact, we have selected, David and his team have selected and we have shown the winner of the best picture for the past 10 years. We uh -huh. have a little streak right, going. Right, right. And we're the only festival in the world who has done that, by the way. That's amazing. There are huge festivals that come before us, Venice, Telluride, Toronto, etc. And we have managed to show every single one, and they can't all say that. Right, but, but <laughs> I, actually, I, I actually uh, uh, don't mean to deflect completely, but, you know, for every movie that, that is, uh, gets nominated or gets part of the awards conversation, there may be 100 to 500 movies that, that still are the little engine that could, that are trying to get out and find an audience, trying to actually pay back the investors that, that believed in the movie in one way or another. Um, how many movies does the Hamptons Film Festival uh, platform uh, like last year and how many will they platform this year that aren't the Oscar movies? So a regular, well, we have a, a, that is most of our program to be perfectly honest. Those films play in the opening, closing, centerpiece spots and then everything else that we have are those films. So in a regular year we play 70 features and about 70 right. shorts, give or take, right? Um, last year we played only 40, 70 films total, um, 35, so half. Right? And you know, I've been coming for years and years and I actually, I mean, I, I love a, a good feature film and obviously, you know, who doesn't, but I really love going to the docs and the shorts and the films that maybe, and you guys really do a, a good combo of things that are, um, you know, kind of outside the box a little bit. I love the animated shorts. I've seen some amazing things at the film festival. And it just, it's like going to the museum. It just makes me feel smarter. Like, it, I just feel more involved. I feel like I'm seeing new things that I wouldn't get a chance to see just, you know, on my television or whatever. And and you guys are just really good at curating. And I'm not, you know, I have no reason to blow blow smoke right now or, or, or kiss any kiss any ass. I, you know, I, it's just I really do enjoy having the festival right. there. Yeah, and and I do think again, you know, every film festival uh, has its own personality, um, and some are real marketplaces trying to sell movies, trying to, you know, in the case of I've always thought, in the case of Sundance, Sundance. yeah, in the case of Sundance, I feel like they're really selling personalities and, and artists, uh, you know, through through the movies that are being shown. Uh, in the case of Toronto, uh, I think that's much more of a, a marketplace. Uh, as far as, you know, and Venice is really a marketplace for indie and stuff. I, I feel like the Hamptons Film Festival, uh, it, and I may be wrong about this, it doesn't really exist as a marketplace, but really exists um, as a chance to um, create a whole new layer of culture out on the East End to allow everybody that's here to access films and conversations that wouldn't be here otherwise. I could not have said that better myself, Alec. Thank you so much. <laughs> that is, that is. Yeah, what, all right. But, well. You know, film festivals and, and specifically ours at their base are community events. We're here bringing the arts and culture to a community. We're here to bring economic development. We're bringing people to the area in an off season. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing. We happen to be able to curate some really incredible content, if you want to call it content, but back to you, Bridget, you, you made a funny, you made a great comment where you said, you know, I want to learn something. I want to feel something, you know, David and I take it as a badge of honor when someone stops us on the street and they're like, I've just seen my 10th documentary. I am bereft. I need a break. I mean, is there a comedy? Do you have one comedy? I love all of this. We take it as a badge of honor, honestly, if you can, you know. And, and, and by the way, um, here's something for anybody that's making a, a short film 
um, that is just like raw numbers. I don't know if this is the case with the Hamptons Film Festival. I know this is the case with Tribeca. Uh, you know, I, I wrote and, and produced a short film that, that uh, played at Tribeca about five years ago. And uh, what I heard from them was 2,500 submissions that year for 70 spots. So if you're going to want to get into a film festival doing a short, you have a better chance of making it a comedy than a drama because the sheer numbers are you might only have 400 comedies for five slots or 10 slots versus 2,500 for 70 slots. So for anybody listening out there uh, and you are doing it, be funny, be funny. <laughs> there you go. We're, we're doing one right now. We're doing a comedy right now. No, I was going to say, because it's web going way back, you said that you guys have chosen the winner, the Oscar winner every year. And I was just going to say, like, can, you, can I go to the track with you? <laughs> have you choose the ponies? <laughs> I wish it were that easy. My grandfather, I mean, just to, of course, go back to me, of course, is my grandfather, you know, besides being a producer and director, Mervyn Leroy, he was also president of Hollywood Racetrack. So for me, like, Horses and film are just like, you know, I mean, I would sit on Uncle Cary Grant's lap because he was the co-president and Jimmy Cagney would come around and we would all like bet on the ponies. Not me, of course, because I was underage. But, you know, I I, I opened my first bank account because I liked <laughs> the pink and black that Willie Shoemaker was wearing and they placed a bet for me. That's how I opened my first bank account. But it was all about movies and glamour. And, you know, do you think the glamour is going to come back? I mean, I don't mean the carpet i just mean the idea of glamour and film they're just so interstitially related and and it's been so hard with the pandemic to kind of get a red carpet on a screen do you think you guys are going to be reopened by october when when you usually do the film festival yes well you asked you asked that question a little bit earlier and i didn't get to it yet but um we're hoping to obviously that's the one thing we want to get back to we, we just have to be we have to follow cdc rules we have to follow state rules we have to follow county rules we need to understand how i feel people are ready to run back to the theater i can't wait i truly can't wait myself to get into a theater dark and hear that great sound and eat the buttered popcorn. I can't wait for all of that. And I do believe everyone who loves film and watching film that way is itching to do the same thing. God, don't we all want to get out of the house? But um, we need to kind of see this summer how many people are, are running to the cinema. I feel we're going to have a hybrid again. I feel like it'll be in person, in theater, at a drive-in, I'd love to say outdoors, but we know how October is. You never know if it's going to be 12 degrees or 90. It's it's always a, a hard thing for us. We always get one day of a monsoon of some and, sort. And in, so in, uh, in, in Hollywood uh, conversations, you know, the, the the big studios, Warner Brothers, started with this. Uh, they they announced a whole different distribution model where they were going to make their films available streaming pretty much concomitantly with the uh, four walling and the theatrical. What that means, uh, it, if you can break through it, is that they are acknowledging that the, the earning potential of theaters is just a big crapshoot right now. And that if they're gonna make movies and make and do all the marketing, they need to kind of defray their risk and costs immediately with the platform. So I would imagine for, for the Hamptons Film Festival, it's a similar conversation, which is you want people to come out and participate and be part of the community while acknowledging that the world momentarily, if not forever, has, has shifted. Don't say if not forever. It's definitely not forever, if not forever. But- <laughs> Oh, I, I, you know what? I, I, I don't know. I don't know because I, 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 I love going to the movies. Everybody loves going to the movies. Trust is a funny thing uh, when it comes to public spaces and, and especially as we've been conditioned in the last year. But I also do think that the pragmatic conversation about uh, how people want to enjoy their their entertainments uh, is is shifting and it is is on the table and it may not come back the way it ever uh, that it was. Previous. Of course, but but that actually brought, you brought up a really interesting point, Sock, which I want to uh, bounce off of Anne, which is if they're releasing their stuff kind of direct to 
video or whatever, how does that affect the, the, all the film festivals? And how do you get kind of, you know, the, the first shot at something or you get to premiere something? Are you, are you in negotiation with all the different studios so they don't release things? Or how, how does that go? How does that work? I think I think what happened this past year for many businesses is going to be studied for years and years. But I find I'm I'm still uh, in shock over what film festivals and studios and filmmakers all did within a six month period to figure out how we were going to all support each other, continue to provide wonderful cinema and content for people to do. I mean, everyone talk about using producing skills and creative skills this year, going back to that other question, I've, I've never sort of just flicked on a switch and said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We've recorded all this content for 15 years. Let's just do it. Let's figure out a way. Alec, our Alec Baldwin jumped in and said, I'll do intros. Let's, you know, I'll do intros for stuff that we've already recorded. You, you can recommend where the film is and then you can come back and watch the conversation. So we had this backlog that we could rely on, thankfully. And then the studios really, when I say studios, I mean, many majors, right? Really couldn't decide how or what they wanted to do. They were scared about piracy. They were scared about how that content would get leaked. They didn't know how to make it egalitarian amongst all film festivals in terms of how many views they would give you. Like we all changed our business models in the summer. So by July, even Toronto was finding out how it was gonna work. You know, what are we gonna do? Uh, Venice was in person interestingly enough last summer that's i think they were the only festival last year um so i find that whatever is going to be thrown at all of us we will figure out a way through it um they're going studios are going to need their content seen we now have ways that we block piracy we now know how to make it work if we do have to stay online we also know how to make think that they will help us and we will help them with these films i mean they still need to get films marketed that's a big reason they use film festivals it cuts right. down on a marketing budget for them and i don't think that they will just do online. I think people are tired of being inside. They're already, we're already seeing fatigue of people watching things on television. They're still doing it because there's really nothing else to do, but I, I don't think theaters are going to be empty. Um, oh, I'm not, I, yeah, I, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to make that leap too much. I, I think that theaters are essential and I, I certainly know from my own uh, habits uh, there's nothing like seeing a movie in the theater. Uh, there's, there's never been anything like it. And even with the advent of television in the 50s, the movies have always offered and run towards, we can give you a, a unique experience. We can give you a 3D, 4D. We can give you things that you will be fully immersed. And so I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not uh, saying that that's over, but I do think that uh, we are probably one third of the way through uh, the audience trusting public spaces. Uh, and, you know, that might take another couple of years for people to fully not think twice about doing it. Maybe. Maybe, because I, we're already hearing from, you know, we have a, a large retirement community here in the Hamptons, and they're ready to rock and roll right now. They're ready to go. I'm scared we're going to have to tell them, you know, no, we can only have 200 people in Guildhall. We can't have the regular 360 and right. there's going to be, you know, a stampede at the door. <laughs> no, I hope. I mean, until the film festival, which is in October, like what are some of your kind of immediate plans, say for April, May, before the weather gets really, really nice and you can maybe do like the outside things? What are some of the events that you have planned, you know, coming up that maybe are different than what you would have done in a, in a previous year? Well, like last year, we're planning on doing a drive-in theater mm. again. We were at Hayground for the month of July last year. We hope to be doing that again. Um, as a matter of fact, this weekend, we partnered with Guild Hall to bring the Met Opera um, to the drive-in. That's spectacular. Well, you know, you, the, one of the great things about the Hamptons and the whole East End is that there are a lot of arts organizations, but it seems like they tend to work together or, or in sync. Do you have that experience? 
Oh, sure. I mean, we've worked with everyone, Southampton Arts Center and Guild Hall and the parish and uh, Bay Street. You know, they've all been our uh, venues when we have the film festival. And, um, you know, everyone, including us, are extremely delighted that the Sag Harbor Cinema is ready to go and will be opening very soon. So um, I've had a tour. It's fantastic. And uh, of course, we'll all be ready to gather in those cinemas as soon as we can. That's great. Uh, King Cullen used to be the site of the drive-in theater uh, that, that was out here. I certainly have memories uh, as a kid of um, going, uh, hiding, in, uh, hiding in the backseat or in the trunk of, of a car to not be counted uh, as you went in, but to watching a lot of the movies. And, and Southampton uh, College, where Stony Brook is, uh, they did a drive-in, uh, you know, uh, not as official, but they would have drive-ins as well. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bridget and Alec, I want those stories. What happened at those drive-ins? Oh, you didn't want to be hanging around the snack bar too late. Let's just say that. Uh, but but <laughs> uh, but it, here's the thing. Is that, so what's old is new again. And and what, what I would go back to is that movies are timeless. And so there's different ways that we possess them, but that really the one constant is the long form or short form, but in my case, long form feature film storytelling is really what America does better than any other culture in the world and it it travels through time and space agreed i agree with you just to talk a little bit about some of those great movies from this year that we played at the film festival that are sort of those small little engines that could kind of movies to look out for um minari Minari is a fantastic movie, if you've not seen it yet, by Lee Isaac Chung. And it's nominated for an Academy Award. I don't think they knew it was going to get that kind of attention. And the other movie is The Sound of Metal uh, with Riz Ahmed, um, which is uh, directed by Darius Martyr, who was one of our mentors for, mentors for our Screenwriters Lab last year as well. And we videotape, well, videotaped. We recorded conversations with every single director we had at the festival last year, and it's all on our website. So if you want to hear Leslie Odom Jr. speak to Matthew Lopez from The Inheritance um, about One Night in Miami and their theater careers, it is a fabulous conversation. You can find all of this at hamptonsfilmfest.org for free. Um, who else do we That's have? Steven Yeun, who starred in Minari and... Uh, Kemp Powers and Florian Zeller, who wrote that amazing The Father. Did anyone see The Father with Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Cole? That's the one with the memory. I've heard about it. I'm dying to see it. That's the one, I've yeah, I'm it. dying to see I've it. Seen it three times. Three times. That's how mm. much. Talk about always as a, as a film lover, you learn and grow with, you know, the catalog of film that you can watch. I'm in awe of that movie and what they were able to do. I, there are so many things you miss throughout the filming of it because it is about memory loss. Yeah, and what Tony Hopkins was able to do because obviously they've done other movies like that, like Away From Her with Julie Christie and and uh, things right. like that. But I've heard that this that he breaks through and does something beyond what and everybody knows he's a great actor but it's beyond like what he does so i am dying to see that and yeah. i can, I can go to hamptonsfilm.org and the production design oh that's right because the the production design on that i don't know if you know this alec but because and it's something very similar to what actually my stepdad tony walton did with the uh death of a salesman that he did on tv with dustin hoffman and he won an emmy for it which is he keeps changing things in the set so you really feel like you're losing your mind because like like that door isn't there anymore, like that kind of thing. And I hear it's brilliant in the, in the father. Um, so well, in your first big... watching, you don't you're not noticing those things, and then when you go back and watch, and you go, oh, oh, that's why. Oh, and in the third watch, you're just like, this is brilliantly done. Right. You're just stunned. Mm -hmm. And and that actually and that actually speaks to something that uh, it, it took me till I was probably in university to appreciate is that uh, when you really want to analyze a film uh, and really want to kind of uh, see all of the many layers of the creation, uh, you need to watch it more than once. Uh, the first time you watch it, you're having a visceral reaction. The second time you begin to analyze it. The third time, if you go there, you really are digging in deep. And something as simple as 
who has the power in any scene is something that from a screenwriter's point of view really drives a lot of screenwriting. Uh, really good writing, quote unquote, is when the least powerful person has the most power in the scene. And that's fascinating, or the least powerful character, I should say. Um, and, and so you get a film like we're talking about now, which I have not seen, but the thought and the analytics and the vision that gets put on for you to have that first experience. We don't even know why you're being mm -hmm. feeling what you're feeling. That that's where the art kind of just elevates. Well, you know, we are almost out of time, believe it or not. And um, and we've been talking with Anne Chasson from Hamptons Film. I mean, it's HamptonsFilmFest.org. Is that's that the correct? Website, yes. Or if you want to see the Hamptons film, film to follow yep. us on social. Okay, and uh, it just goes to show this the, the last few minutes how incredibly passionate we all are about film, and I think most of the world is. And it's just been um, a, a real pleasure to just get that moment and to understand that films don't just transport us, they also make us think. And also I remember when the Hamptons Film Festival started and people you know, honestly kind of rolled their eyes because the Hamptons has the reputation of being already kind of shiny and sparkly. And yeah, like the last thing we need is a damn film festival. And it's become such, as you said, a community event for people of all ilks, of all ages, of of, of every type of person. And um, and I'm personally am glad that that you're in the neighborhood. So thank you, thank you Anne, for coming on. Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. I could continue to talk about films all day with both of you, of course, but I know you. So thankfully I can call you. <laughs> <laughs> Alec, do you have any last thoughts? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Anne, thanks for coming on and everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, you know, this is an hour uh, that celebrates films. And so, you know, I would just say to everybody, go watch a movie, uh, go enjoy a movie with, with your loved ones. Uh, it's a wonderful way to, to break from reality uh, and break from the tedium of life and, and to disappear into the magic. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, as, as the world continues to open up, you know, yeah, get your vaccines, wear your mask, continue to be vigilant, but know that there are better days ahead. There's going to be more communal uh, experiences ahead, like the Hamptons Film Festival this coming fall. So uh, thank you all. Uh, and be well and stay well. Movies is magic. Real life is tragic. Fundamental, though it seems, when you live in. Wonder why?